Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate your time always. I'm going to start with a little story. For those of you who know the story of the man in the arena, go ahead and fast forward about 30 seconds. It'll probably be just about right. The man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's a story that was said by uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, kind of a, a, a famous character in our history uh, in the United States, uh, was, was the president at one point. Uh, so why did I read that? I wanted you to hear one, because I don't think our history sometimes transfers into modern time as effectively and efficiently as it should. So that's one piece. But the other is, I really wanted to set the stage to talk to you about something. I'm, I'm going to geek out a little bit here for you. Brief solution-focused therapy. Now, that's, that's what's going on in the background here the whole time. Solution-focused therapy. It's a real thing. You can go look it up. You can do your research. But within that story, there were some key elements. There were two sets of people. There were critics, the people who sit outside of the arena or at best, inside the arena, but in the stands. They watch, but they actually accomplish nothing. They may say, oh, look at him fail. <laughs> he fell down again. That's like the 20th time. But yet, they don't try to do what the man in the arena is doing. Now, I know that that's an old quote. So it talks about the man. Hey, doers are of all kind, of all color. I just want to clarify that it's it's not just the man. It could be the woman. It could be uh, the the, uh, the people across the world from wherever you are listening right now that are doers, and they contribute because of that. And yes, they will fail. I want to highlight uh, some some obstacles. So when we when we look at critics and doers, when we're looking at solution focused. What we're looking at is these different obstacles. There's different things that come into play. And when we come across an obstacle, you're driving down the road and you see, oh my gosh, they're doing construction. That road is closed. There's a detour. Well, we follow the detour because ultimately that takes us around the obstacle. That's the analogy. 
But what's happening in, in our reality is we're coming up with all kinds of obstacles all the time. One obstacle is personal limitations. Another is environmental, what's outside of us. Another might be our internal dialogue. Another might be poor judgment patterns. I'm going to emphasize those and I'm going to detail them out just a tiny bit for you. When we're talking about personal limitations, that could be physical, mental, it could be spiritual, it could be uh, anything that's, that's literally you are incapable of doing on your own. Uh, when we look at this clinically, I often will pull out a circle of concern, circle of influence. It's uh, seven habits of highly effective people. You can go back and look it up. The it's in, in there, they talk about we care about all kinds of stuff, but we can only influence so much. And when we stay influence, when we stay focused on influencing the things that we can influence, our circle of influence actually expands. When we focus on something outside of our influence, our ability to influence other things shrinks because we only have so much time, energy, and resources. When we give that time, energy, and resources to things we can't change, we actually just lose it. It's gone forever, never comes back. So personal limitations can be physical, mental, spiritual. Uh, then we've got outside or environmental influences. This is where the world gets extremely complicated. When uh, I look at environment, uh, we start with the individual. So uh, my own psychology, let's say. Then how I act in the world, and then how the world acts on me. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. So what that basically means is we have the individual, then we have groups and how they work together or don't work together. And then we have large groups and how different kinds of groups can either work together or not work together. Right? That's, that's where we end up in, in many of my podcasts in the political discussion. Because it's a matter of groups working with other groups. We, we do these groups because that tribal mentality, that idea of I need to belong, not I want to belong. It's a need. We, we have this drive to belong. And that is showing up in our environment. We work to fit in over here. It doesn't work. So we go over there. We try over there, it doesn't work, so we shift again and again until we find our niche. And sometimes that means others find us and we take what we can get. Sometimes that means we find something that is bigger, more important, more valuable than me, and we then become part of that movement, that motion. And we cannot do any of that blindly. Because if we lose who we are individually within the system, that's, a, that's an obstacle. That is absolutely an obstacle. So there's obstacles that are environmental. Uh, it might be something as simple as a, a process is too expensive and therefore uh, the timing of it isn't right. We, we can't afford it, right? How many times in your family have you run into, yeah, I mean, I really would like a, 
fill in the blank, but that would cost a lot of money. And we don't really have the resources to do that right now. Those are environmental. Could we earn those resources? Potentially. Potentially. But you, you'd you have to look at your, your personal situation. The next one was internal dialogue. Like this is, this is what I see a lot on my couch. Usually I'm going to be really clear here. Usually the internal dialogue comes from a point of fear when it's, when it's an obstacle. Almost always it's a point of fear. The emotion that stops us is usually fear. Now, some people might call it shame. Some people might call it guilt. Some, like whatever we call it. But if you go to the very, very core, we do not function well when we are in fear. When we are in respect of a situation, say, for instance, heights. If you were asked to walk a tightrope that was six inches off the ground, you might be like, okay, well, this is probably not going to feel good, but the risk is low, right? You might fall. You may break an arm or something like that, but you're not likely to die. You put that rope uh, 300 feet above the ground, you're like, oh, no, thank you. Not touching it. Even if you harness me up, I may not touch that, right? I don't, I'm not terrified of heights, so um, I use that example. But fear is real, and fear changes behavior. When we're two inches off the ground, we may shake because our muscles are tired. When we're 200 feet off of the ground, we shake because we're nervous, we're afraid. The consequences are so high that we, we freeze up we are unable to perform at that same high level. So that's why people who work through fear over and over and over to the point where fear does not stop them tend to be some of the higher functioning because they have realized that that fear is just another obstacle. Uh, Internal dialogue might be depression, anxiety, it, it's those things that stall us, that say, you know, I just don't feel like it. I'm so tired. I've been there. I've done that. And that's an obstacle. Okay, another obstacle, poor judgment patterns. Okay, the easiest way to paint this for me is to look at addiction. We we may start off now. Some some people out there believe that addiction is a disease, and even still, it's a pattern of poor judgment. If we know we have a disease, and therefore we have to eat healthier, would it be foolish to eat unhealthy? Say heart disease. Yeah, it would be foolish. Do people do it? Yes. People eat unhealthy when they know that they're susceptible to heart disease, heart failure, and stuff like that. Just like an addict will return to its addiction. So poor judgment. We have to stay uh, clear of things that we know to be dysfunctional in order to remain functional. And the best way to do that is to stay distracted Focusing on the thing we're trying to accomplish instead of focusing on avoiding the thing we don't want. Uh, 
which you can go back and you can listen to my uh, my little rant on that in a different podcast. I talked about um, positive psychology and stuff like that. Okay. So when we have doers and critics, and we know that there's all of these obstacles, doers are the ones in the arena. They encounter personal limitation. And then they think, okay, how can I accomplish this in spite of my own inability? Oh, I know. I could use a friend, uh, a family member. I may be able to design something that can do it for me so that then I don't have to do the part that I can't actually do. I think of it in the old times when we talked about things like, um, you know, there was nobody who could raise a drawbridge into a castle. They had to create a pulley system because the bridge was way too heavy and it was over water. So if that's the case, if we have the ability to think outside of ourselves and create so that our limitations are no longer limiting, which we do all the time. I mean, we've got, we've got people going to space. We've got electric cars that can drive autonomously. Like we are very creative. We have to overcome the obstacle. Doers are the ones in the arena. They are not looking for the excuse not to. They are not looking at why they failed 20 times. They're looking at why it worked once. And they're, they're so focused on trying to repeat that, that their own personal limitations are just obstacles to overcome. They go up, they go down, you go around, you go through, you find a way to overcome the obstacle. The doers are the ones who are looking at their environment and saying, okay, if the environment isn't conducive to it now, then when? Is there a time in the future where the cost is going to come down so that I can afford to do this? Maybe. I mean, there was, you know, just in the last 40 years, we went from computers being extremely expensive to we go to the store, we can buy a computer for $100. I mean, how does that happen? Costs come down over time with certain things. We also have that internal dialogue. Now, this is the tricky one. Again, I must say that internal dialogue is usually the thing that stops our progress. That internal dialogue, like I'm telling you, how many times I sit with somebody and I say, look, you just got to get out of your head. You got to get out of your head because the world is not telling you no. You are telling you no. And you become your own obstacle. That internal dialogue has a way of making our our obstacles seem impossible. We may start with that internal dialogue being negative. And then we focus on the outside world and say, and the world is going to make it hard. And then we look at our own limitations. And I'm probably just not able to do it. But it often starts with that internal dialogue of, I'm afraid to fail. Like, at the end of the day, look, failure is just part of the deal. I, I read that to you. It, it says it in the, the, the man in the arena. Failure is really part of the deal. I'm going to try to find it real quick. It says the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes 
short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. There, there, is, there is nothing. You're going to fail. It's not about failing. It's how many times do you get up? It reminds me of two things I want to share with you briefly. First, the race. There's a, a book by D. Groberg. Uh, it's called The Race, Life's Greatest Lesson. And it talks about a kid that's running a race and he falls down and he falls down and he falls down and it's embarrassing and he just feels like he can't go and he, he can't succeed and all he wants to do is win so that his dad will be proud of him. And in the end, when he crosses the line dead last, but he had gotten up over and over and over, the crowd cheered as if he won. Our world loves an underdog. So if you think because you failed that you can't win and succeed, I'm telling you, you probably gained more fans because you screwed up than you would have if you hadn't. Because when we screw up and we get up, people say, I want that. I want that. I want to be able to get up. I want to succeed. The other one is uh, Dr. Daniel Amen. He uses this a lot. Um, he's, he talks about the, uh, the automatic negative thoughts. They call them ants, A-N-T-S, automatic negative thoughts. Ants, there's really not a ton of them, but you should be aware of them because these are the internal dialogue that stop us many times. There's the all or nothing. That basically means, you know what? I've got to succeed fully or it's a failure and I quit. Sometimes partial success can teach us really important lessons. So go with partial success until you can reach full success. There's the just the bad ant. That's, you know, today is such a bad day. Everything's terrible. And it's that negative thought of, you know, it's just going to, we're assuming that it's going to be bad. The, the next one is, uh, the fortune teller. I love this one. We see this all the time. You know, I, we'll, we'll never be able to do it. Uh, I, because I'm a good predictor of the future. If you're that good at predicting the future, then I would suggest predict a good future (laughs) and then let's make that happen. Because if we can predict failure and make that happen, why can't we predict success and fight through those failures to make success happen? I think we can. If we get rid of that negative thought. Uh, Another one is the mind reader. The mind reader in that internal dialogue is the one that says, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking I'm so disgusting. They think that, you know, they must be thinking about how I'm just not smart enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not short enough. I'm not black enough or white enough or man enough or woman enough. That's the mind reader. The last one, the blaming ant. Look, this is, when I look at our politics in the, in the arena of politics right now, I think that is the dominant narrative, the dominant narrative. But it's because it's an internal dialogue that we must be having with ourselves. 
we have to blame somebody for how bad things have become. And if we're, if we're in the business of blaming, don't be fooled. You are a critic and not a doer. Look, we can point and say, hey, look, that didn't go so well. What's the solution? See, a doer is going to ask that next question. The critic's going to point and say, oh, it's because of so-and-so. Yeah, they're stupid. They should be fired. They should be whatever. That's, that's the wrong approach. We've got doers and we've got critics. I'm not, look, accountability is important. I totally agree with that. But it starts with the internal dialogue. If we're, if we're so focused on other people being totally accountable, like we're never going to get there. Because we're not taking accountability for our lack of movement on our own. And that's a major problem. Poor judgment patterns. Um, if you want to be a doer when it comes to that, like, we have to know our uh, weaknesses. Know our weaknesses. Like Highlight our weaknesses. And then go the other direction. It's not an avoidance in this way. I'll explain. If my weakness is ice cream at you know, bedtime, one of the things that I have found, because I do like some ice cream. I mean, it is its own food group. Let's be real. What I have found is that if I brush my teeth after dinner, I am significantly less likely to go to the freezer and get that ice cream. Because there's something that I am more than desiring that ice cream. And that's, I don't want to brush my teeth a second time in like an hour. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. I'm not going to lie. There are times where I'm like, um, well, after one or two bites, it'll taste perfectly good anyway. So I'm going to have some ice cream anyway. But if I brush my teeth, I reduce the risk. And if I need to do some things, I can adjust my risk level by moving that line further and further away. Maybe it's going to become, I'm just not going to eat after dark or, you know, whatever it is for, for a given situation. But we take a look at the problem. If the problem is I'm eating ice cream at dinner or not at dinner, at bedtime, then I've got to do something that's going to make me not want it as much. I got to reduce my desire for it. If I'm an addict and I'm addicted to social media or, or drugs, whatever. I have to distract myself by saying, okay, and by the way, this, you can go and do the research on your own, but many, many, many addicts become workout gurus. They, they take that addiction and they, they say, look, if I've got this addiction anyway, can I put it to something that's not going to kill me or be detrimental to my well-being or destroy my family? And so they become work workoutaholics, right? They and to be honest, I'll take that over the alternative. Now, if that becomes too much, if that starts to ruin their family, then they've got to step it back another step. And sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes one ops one solution becomes an obstacle in the next phase. And so we always got to be cognizant of that possibility that because we have poor judgment patterns that sometimes do contribute. We have to be uh, always diligent that they may show up in new ways, but it could be the same problem, okay? The psychology of it, if we focus on the obstacles, we are more likely to blame, accuse, and be a critic. 
if we focus on the solutions, we can find ways beyond obstacles that you cannot even fathom. Think about this. We think of the things we have created in this world. We're a hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, we, not every house had power. A hundred years ago, 200 years ago, none of them did. We were doing candles for everything. In 200 years, we have solved so many issues. And unfortunately, we've created a lot of new ones as well. But solution-focused therapies are about saying, okay, if that's the obstacle, what's the solution? And then setting a plan to create the solution. And if we focus on the solution enough, we tend to overcome almost any obstacle. And don't forget, one of your great solutions is going to be other people who are resources for you. Look, I think I've covered quite a bit of material today. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope this was helpful and you you can take some of these resources. I'll try to, uh, in the uh, the notes of the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll put the, the, the two books that I'm referring to. They're both short. They're actually kids' books uh, because they're super useful. And uh, that way you can, you can access those if you want to find them. Thank you so much for joining me. Please tell a friend and we'll see you next time.